The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 234 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? I'm doing really well. You know, we're over halfway through the season. Which is hard to remember because you just tend to think, oh, the All-Star breaks about halfway through the season. But it's really like 50 or 60 games into the season. So I, now people I, have played 40, I, 45 games. This is the midpoint. I think every team has played more than uh, 41 games. Yes, like everybody should I, be right around like 43, 44, 45 games, I think. So we are yeah. actually at the midpoint of the year. It's It's really cool to like take a step back and reassess at this point in the season. Um. It's amazing how close it is. Uh, you know, I'm looking at just at the Western Conference standings. Over half the league has between 21 and 24 wins half the conference. It's just like everyone's kind of tightly packed. Obviously, you have a couple teams that are jumped out ahead, a couple teams that are like Tankville, but in general, it feels very competitive um overall. It's kind of interesting, I think, because Tankville is is the one thing this year that you know, if you get Victor Wambanyama, you feel pretty good about yourself. But like Oklahoma City's 21 and 23, and we'll probably talk about one of the reasons why on this show when we go over midseason awards. But like you can't just sell off now. Like Houston has an 11 game lead in terms of like oh. tanking in the Western Conference. And, you know, San Antonio's only got 14 wins, but then also like Charlotte and Detroit have 11 and 12 wins. So like if you're Oklahoma City, like, you're you have done. to like, yeah, you decide can't get top five. right now that no, you're going to get a top late. five pick. That's a, yeah. you, it, it's easy math, even, because if you think it's halfway through the season, Houston has 10 wins, Charlotte has 11. I don't think they're going to match that in the second half. But even yeah. if they did, you know, Oklahoma City would have to lose every single game I, just to that, match them. Yeah, and that's, that's the same at the top of the conferences, too. Like, it is conceivable, I think, you know, now Philly's up to – the third seed in the uh, East, Brooklyn's taking a little bit of a step back without KD, as we would kind of expect. But, you know, the four and five seeds in the East are separated, I think, by five points. But in the West, Denver and Memphis are now, like, kind of breaking ahead of the pack, right? Because they are five games up on New Orleans, six games up on Sacramento. And, uh, you know, I don't know that we expect Sacramento to finish in the four seed, but seven and a half up on Dallas. So, like, one and two in the West seem like, I don't want to say like definitely decided, but for teams to get to 55 wins, you know, Dallas needs 31 more wins in, I think they've played 45 games. So like, it just is not, they have 39 games. Are they going 31 and eight down the stretch to like get yeah. to 55 wins? It seems unlikely. So while there's, I do, there's think, a lot more movement in the middle is what we're saying. Right. And I do think in the East, I think Boston is, a very strong odds on favorite to win the conference and, and should be at this point. But there, there are scenarios where Boston doesn't get the one seed in the West. It's, I think it's like almost a hundred percent Denver or Memphis is yeah, the one seed. And those two are one and two would be my guess. 
because they're playing as well. You know, they're going to maybe even get better. Whereas New Orleans has no Zion. Sacramento probably slips a little bit. I think Golden State and Clippers can't catch up at this point. So yeah, I think you're right. But to what does that matter though? If you're Denver, do you really care if you're the one or the three? I mean, if slightly, I guess. But I think you do. If you're Denver, I think you one. I mean, I guess we're assuming the bottom of the West is strong enough that like you're not like taking a series off, right? Like this isn't LeBron versus like right. magic or whatever. But if you're Denver, I think, you know, home field or home court advantage does matter. And if you're Memphis, I think it, it definitely, if, yeah, like, I was Memphis, right. like, Cause if I you're would, the one, one versus three means if you're the three, you're gonna have to go on the road probably three times, you know, in the right. second round, third round and, and granted, in the finals, the playoffs are so long and like, you know, what's one extra game. But I, I do think for teams like Denver, especially like, you know, having to play in Denver that extra game, like that matters quite a bit. And then Memphis, I think they just would rather be at home more. I think, you know, the grindhouse is a real thing. It's not that anymore, but, you know, FedEx Forum and, and the way that that team is, I think that being at home for them is better. Like I, I wouldn't expect them to win a ton of game sevens on the road right now, but I do think, you know, having that game seven at home in a tight series for Memphis is, is a big advantage. And And so like, I would, I would say like those two teams will go very hard after the one seed. Well, you know what we should do because it's midseason. I think we should do some quick NBA midseason awards. Okay. And not looking ahead, not predicting, but just we're not betting these on Bovada Sportsbook or anything like that. We're just saying season's over. You know, the rest of the season's canceled. You know, Adam Silver said something racist and the season got canceled, and that's it. It's in the book. Rudy, Rudy Gobert incites a second pandemic in the NBA. Yeah. Anyway. And so just based on this, not looking ahead. And then also at the end of the show, I think we should make predictions looking ahead, not at the awards, but just sort of like you've seen these teams for 40 games. I want you yeah. to revise your finals picks at the end of the show if we can. Okay. Yeah. If you do, if you maybe you want to stick with your original ones, because um, you were ha- riding hard on Orlando Houston finals and maybe you want yeah. to change it. I, I uh, have a couple interesting things, I think, because I think I picked the Clippers to make the finals for like the 19th year in a row. I know. Yeah. I think I took Milwaukee Clippers. If I that's recall. not bad. You could stick with Milwaukee. Although it, anyway, all right. We'll get we'll all get right. there. So you tell me what awards you want to start. Yeah, with. and, and so some are, I don't care about. So I don't care are, about most improved. Sorry, but we're picking these awards as if the season is ending yes. today. So not who we think will win MVP, but who at Game Forty Five on January Eighteenth has been the MVP. Right. We are just voters at this point. We're not predicting who other voters would pick. We're not, not doing most improved player. I don't. I didn't even think about it. I couldn't care less. The I, betting like, favorite was like, like pretty, Shea or something. It's, it's so a pretty. Yeah, it's a three-horse race. I don't think Shea will win, but uh, anyway. The ringer. Don't. Ringer picked Luka Doncic. That so was just the like, dumbest. I, I like Michael Pina. I think he's a good writer. I really do. I, I think like he just wanted to give Luka an award, and he wasn't going to give him MVP, so he wrote him in for most improved, which is pretty funny because yeah, Luka's having an amazing season, but you know Dallas isn't a whole lot better. And his stats aren't that much better than they were before. Uh, he's just he's just one of the best players in the NBA. I, I just think it's like it's well, tough. I he's, think there's there's an argument that he has gotten better. I mean, obviously, there's no argument that he's gotten better, but there's an argument that he's gotten a lot better based on something you could argue for MVP if you want to do a little spoiler alert. But he's shooting more free throws. It's about like three or four more a game, and that's been like a major key to his improvement in terms of efficiency and everything else, he's gone from seven and a half to 11 and a half a game, which is a sizable thing, but that's pretty much it. That's like his sole area of improvement. So is that the most improved player? There's no one who did anything more than that. I I find that hard to, 
Well, I mean, it did jump his true shooting percentage, and obviously it jumped his points per game. But, you know, I don't know. It, it, this is this is the thing. Like, we always argue about this award, and I know this is why you don't care for it, but it's like there's no real standard for who wins. It's like, you know, John Morant, you're supposed to be a superstar if you're drafted in the first, you know top two. But, like, what about somebody who was drafted 25th who's become, like, a pretty good player? So, like, that's kind of where I think it, it's tough to say. And so Luca having an incremental improvement from, like, superstar to, like, super-duper star doesn't really move it for me as much as, like, you know, Shea Gil- Gilgis-Alexander took a big jump. Laurie Markkinen went from, like, rotation player to, like, star on a Utah Jazz team. And then I think, uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton went from, you know, I think pretty good player to star as well. and. Those were the three yeah. for me. I think Laurie Marketing probably should win, but well, I I think you're right. Like Halliburton, Marketing are going to be top contenders. I just think they're also in new roles. You know, like hey, you're going to be the star of the team. Your stats are going to be better. If I had to vote, I would I would vote for Laurie just because it's like I did not expect him to be playing this well for this long of a stretch and to be like successful as like the featured guy in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that. Anyway, so you go ahead, and we weren't we're going to vote on most improved, but you you pick the next one. Who do you got? Well, let's do. Do you have a six man of the year? We're trying to build our way up, like the Oscars. <clears throat> do I have a six man of the year? Uh, I think that I think likely Malcolm Brogdon will win, just because we know kind of how this goes. Or maybe Russ, like he's a high scorer. It was uh, you know kind of a deal like that, but. Here's a guy that I like because he's not going to win rookie of the year. Benedict Matherin has fallen apart a little bit. You know, he's not shooting it quite as well. So maybe he's hitting the rookie wall. But I do think in terms of like his impact, he's been able to keep Indiana competitive on a team that's just not that deep. So I, I really do like uh I do like Benedict Matherin, but I I think that Malcolm Brogdon will win this award. I think Malcolm Brogdon so, would, would win. Who you want to win. You would vote for Benedict. Yeah. And I think that makes sense because he also He's been slowing down. I wouldn't say he's been bad lately, but he's been slowing down. I think he hasn't been as good as a starter just because when he was on the bench, he would just come in and light it up. Yeah. And now he has to fit in a little bit more. I would probably vote for Malcolm Brogdon for six man of the year because, you know, he he does a little bit of everything. You know, a $20 million guy accepting that role, I think is pretty impressive too. A top seed. Uh, I think all that combines to me to like this guy is overqualified to be a six man. So like I I appreciate that about him. I would vote for him. Yeah, and the other one I think Norman Powell will probably get some votes. He's averaging about sixteen points a game. Uh, he's only started five games this year, so I think Powell will get some votes too. But I, yeah, okay, what fair enough. Player of the year it seems like Jaron Jackson Jr. is kind of locking it up. Do you have another pick or anything? I mean, prior to the last, I would say. Two to three weeks, I, I would have voted for Brooke Lopez. I think there is no real argument right now to vote against Jaron Jackson. Memphis is number one in D. Uh, they were like 20th before he came back. He's blocking an 11% of shots. Like it's an absurd percentage career high for him. Fouls are a career low. I, I just don't, I, I honestly think that, you know, he's not played enough games right now to qualify in a lot of like leaderboard categories, but as soon as he meets those minimum qualifications, if he doesn't play another game, he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year because Memphis is so good. And I think like Ja is going to get MVP love and first-team All-NBA love. But I, I do think the reason that Memphis is as good as they are is because of how good Jaron Jackson is on defense, both at the rim, where he's probably the best rim de- defender in the NBA this year, 
and then also on the perimeter. And now he's been able to limit his fouls. So I, I don't see how uh, I don't see how Jared Jackson doesn't win, to be honest with you. And he would win. And you would vote for him. too. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's one of those cases where it's like block shots. Some people think are overrated, but this is directly, you know, translating to good team defense as well. So this, yeah, I agree with you. And here's where we're going to take a, a dark turn. Because everyone does these award shows. Everyone does midseason awards. Everyone has similar podcasts, similar award picks. How do we differentiate ourselves? A little twist. In true Zan Ellison fashion, for coach of the year, I want to hear your pick for coach of the year. And then LVP style, I want to hear your pick for the award for the worst coach of the midseason as well. Wow. This is really twist. tough. It's like a okay. million dollar baby twist. You thought we were having fun, but now it turns into a depressing category too. Never saw that movie. What happened? She she takes a sucker punch and gets paralyzed. Is that right? And then she <laughs> yeah, dies. Spoiler alert! Is that what happens later. It, isn't the movie like fifteen years old? Yeah, I guess it's fine. Yeah, she does. She no. Yeah, she takes a sucker punch, gets paralyzed, and then the whole movie becomes about like euthanasia. Oh, that's um, things. It's Clint Eastwood, right? So yeah, it's probably, that's yeah. good movie. I liked it. Yeah. Um, All right. So, so which do coach do? deserves euthanasia? <laughs> All right, so Missouri. I think we'll start. do we'll do yeah. coach of the year first, correct? Okay. Sure. All right. I think that I would vote for this is an interesting one. I you're gonna vote for Mike Brown just because you know you, you touted him and so you're you gotta keep your narrative going. Sure. I don't really buy I understand that Joe Missoula was in a situation that was tough, and I think that you know Joe Missoula has a lot of helium in this role, but like he walked. He, he was already an assistant there. The team is very, very good. They're very veteran. The front office is Brad Stevens, so like there is a lot of like top down infrastructure that I think are is in place. The guy that I think actually deserves the most credit this year is Willie Green because they they I, I don't even see him like getting love for Coach of the Year. And typically, it's like who has the biggest turnaround, whatever. But like New Orleans is legitimately the third seed in the West. Yeah, their team is a lot better. Our guy, David Griffin, has done a pretty good job. But, like, they've had Zion for a lot of the season, but not all of the season. They haven't had Brandon Ingram for a ton of the season. And, like, New Orleans is legitimately very good, very deep. They can play a lot of different styles. I'm I'm not sure how, on this particular team, Willie Green isn't getting, like, a ton more credit than he is. Because I haven't seen him anywhere. I've seen, like, the Jacques Vaughns. I've seen Joe Mazzula, even my guy, Taylor Jenkins. But, like... I think the job that Willie Green's done in New Orleans in his second year, like they're a legitimate contender right now. That's and I don't know that they should be. Yeah. And, you know, with injuries, because if we thought if they were a three seed, Zion would have been healthy all year. Ingram would have been healthy all year. And that hasn't been the case. I would right now, as we record, you're right. I would vote for Mike Brown just because the right now the four seed. And that is pretty amazing. If, you know, two weeks from now, they're the six or seven, maybe that changes. The guy that I actually wanted to shout out, I might write a Reddit piece about this. I legitimately think Mark Danigold or whatever his name is should be on the ballot somewhere. Because how do you pronounce his name, Mark? That's that's right. Danigold? Danigold is how I've always said it. Okay. So the Oklahoma City coach. Because let's keep in mind, look at the roster. It's Shea Gilders Alexander, Josh Giddy, who's in his second year, and a bunch of trash. Chet Holmgren hurt, misses the year. Their over-under was 23 and a half for the season. We're here halfway. They've won 21 and 23. I mean, SRS, you know, I overuse it, 11th in the league for this team. It's pretty amazing. 
And he, he's just a good, smart coach who I think turned out a lot better. No one's going to vote for a coach under 500, but I think I would put him like second or third on my ballot. Let me ask you a question. Why? So do you think he's done a really good job or do you think his job is to like figure out a way to lose games? So you think he's doing a bad job? No, I don't. I don't <laughs> think he's doing a bad job. I think he's doing a good job. I think, you know, I, I think one of the one of the ways that I this is this is oversimplifying things because like scheme absolutely matters. But like watching teams that play hard night in and night out, like that shows you that like your coach, your coach has a hold on what's going on. Like they, they do what they're supposed to do. They play very hard. Like they want to win games. And, and you've heard me crow on this podcast for five years now or whatever about how young teams need to learn to win. And like yeah. Oklahoma city is kind of like in between. And I think he's doing an amazing job with the, with the players he has. I don't know that the front office is like, super excited about the job right. he's doing but i i just think like to take this roster and have them play guys tough every single night like that that shows that like you're having an impact your staff is having an impact because it's very easy in the nba to be like all right this is our third game in six days like let's just mail it in we're not supposed to win anyway and that does that is not happening in oklahoma city right now and that that to me is and, the sign of a coach Big picture, you're right. Like we talk about that with Utah, who's flipped under 500. Indiana is still slightly over 500. If they don't make it and they don't even make the plan, what's it all worth? Except you know you hurt your chances in the lottery. So, but if Oklahoma City makes the plan, I think that's worth something. I think he gets coach of the year votes. But what about the worst coach of the year? Now you talk about Mark Danigal, maybe matching his over under already. He's doing a lot with a little. Who's doing? the least with the most oh man (laughs) i get this is such a hard question and and some of it is our own like personal biases right because like i think there's a very big argument that like chris finch and nick nurse have not done a very good job for for like good reason too like chris finch i think in minnesota you know the town's injury hurts but like they just haven't really integrated rudy perfectly They're, they're 500 i think we expected them to be better but they're not like a dumpster fire Toronto is worse than I expected. They're 20 and 25. Again, I, I don't think they're like a dumpster fire. I think they've kind of been rather unlucky. I, I guess the it's, I can it's, help you because I, no, I, I think that okay. I think they I think the two coaches that have done the worst job, in my opinion. One is Nate McMillan, and he's getting fired. There's like no way around it. Some of it's not his fault, but like the Hawks were supposed to be a lot better. There's been a ton of inner turmoil, a bunch of leaks from the locker room. Like, that stuff really matters. That shows, like, you've lost the locker room. So one is Nate McMillan. The other guy that I think probably this is a little bit unfair, but, like, I think Monty Williams deserves more Mm. headache than what he's gotten for where the Suns are. I know Devin Booker's hurt, like, but now Jay Crowder's, like, popping off behind the scenes. DeAndre Ayton, they had issues with him. And I understand that Monty Williams is like a great guy, but like something is not working in Phoenix with a team that's pretty talented and was expected to be good. And it's not like Phoenix's roster, you know, Golden State without Steph Curry is one thing, but like Phoenix shouldn't be under 500 right now. They just should not be. Like, and, yeah, it's and interesting I, that like they, I thought they survived like Devin Booker injuries in the past and Chris Paul injuries in the past better. This year, it seems like they just don't, they can't do anything. Um, and they're really in danger of, you know, 21 and 24. I think that's a good pick. And, and it's interesting, you as a former coach, like you're giving a lot of credence to like the ability to control the locker room, you know, leaks and stuff like that. You think that falls back on the coach too? I, I just think that like for the Nate McMillan situation, like you can say like, oh, like Trey Young's at fault. But it's your job 
to develop buy-in. It's your job to make sure your locker room is tight. It's your job to make sure players buy into their roles, right? And that was the one thing with Steve Kerr that I thought he always did a great job of, even though you could tell that he was constantly annoyed by Draymond. Like you could see that like the stuff Draymond did just drove him insane. But for the most part, when it mattered, the Warriors were able to overcome stuff like that. Phil Jackson was the same way. Like, so those guys who maybe aren't the best X's and O's guys, but they are very good managers of talent, they should get lumped into that great coach category because that stuff really does matter. Because it's very easy to just have your locker room splinter and no matter how good you are, you just stink, right? Like, I, I think we saw this quite a bit um, with LeBron and Kevin Love, where like Ty Lue was able to handle that. And, you know, LeBron just decided David Blatt wasn't his guy and they like buried him. Like Mike Brown, same deal. Like he just, it didn't work with him. Like, but I do think guys do need, they do need to take some of the blame for getting players to buy in. And now, like, I've told you from the start that Trey Young is very hard to deal with. I think I told you that when he was a rookie, yeah. like when he was drafted. And so it's not unexpected, but at the same time, like, you got to be the right guy for the job, you know? And, and Nate McMillan just has not reached that measuring stick for me. But I, I think I would put Monty Williams second worst because I, I just think he deserves blame for what's going on in Phoenix rather than, like, oh, like, They'll figure it out, you know, because like, what the why are they under 500? Like Devin Booker is a great player, but they have a very good roster outside of Devin Booker. Yeah, that's an interesting pick. You know, I posed this question on Reddit before we we started recording. You know, who's your pick for worse to this, worse to that? The coaches that came up the most often, Nate McMillan, who's probably the heavy favorite here, but also Steven Silas, who I think has really, you know, kind of lost control of the situation. Houston. He, he's not going to be the coach in Houston after this year. And he, he certainly, I don't know if you saw earlier in the year, and this was like last week, but this is a good Stephen Silas like anecdote. Garrison Matthews and somebody got like real chippy and nobody on the Rockets bench like got up to separate. It was like Jalen Green was the guy. Like it's supposed to be assistant coaches when you see somebody get chippy. I can't remember who the altercation was with, uh, but like Jalen Green runs in to play Peacemaker and no Houston Rockets coaches got off the bench. And it's like, man, this, this staff just doesn't jive together. Like it's just a bad situation. Yeah, so it's interesting that there's so many other players taking shots at them. Did you see John Wall's quote recently where he's just like, they're just learning to play the wrong way, basically. <laughs> and yeah. Like, and I mean, but part of it's like, so you remember how much, crap you used to give me because i said that like brett brown got dealt a bad hand and you were like what does that mean he's an nba coach he's making millions of dollars like so steven silas he takes the job right it's a it's a miserable situation they lose their gm they lose james harden he's like actively a locker room cancer you know they bring in john wall and that trade and like he they don't want him to play so like i do think there are things that have worked against steven silas and made his job harder but at the same time like i think it's pretty clear that steven silas was like not ready to be the head coach but he was a gettable guy and they could kind of throw him in the situation until they were ready to hire the next guy. And I think that's unfortunate because I don't, I don't think it's fair. He also to young seems, I don't know. Based on interview, he seems very laid back. I don't know if he's like a, usually you think young teams can handle a little tougher college type coach. It's, it'd be interesting though. This is the nature of the NBA where it's like Houston's a train wreck playing terribly bad basketball, worst record in the league compared to Oklahoma city. Who's playing so well and overachieving. And what do you get as a reward? Well, maybe Houston's in a better position in the offseason because they're going to have a high pick. So, like, does it matter? Maybe they like the chaos. You know, the GM's like the Joker. He just wants to watch the world burn before he could swoop in with Victor. I don't know. Like, the thing with Houston that's really interesting is that there are some 
players on Houston that I, I, I really like, and I think are good building block players. What's interesting is like, if they don't get the number one pick, I think they're going to fire Steven Silas. The John Lucas situation there is just kind of always there. He's a huge deal in Houston. He's been on the bench for a lot of different coaches. Like, I wonder if he just gets the job or like they hire somebody else, but like John Lucas's voice makes a huge difference. So I just don't know what they're going to do. I, I I don't know who could be successful in Houston right now. Like, I just don't. It's, yeah. it's you know, they went from really fun team to watch to just like terrible. So, all right. Nate well, McMillan, like Silas. Because no one else picked Monty Williams. I would take Nate McMillan, I think, just because I had higher, you know, we all had slightly higher expectations. And there's talent there. It just hasn't worked. And then just the reports, not only players being unhappy, Nate McMillan being unhappy and allegedly trying to quit all the time. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's like, I do think it's it's interesting. Ty Lu seems like he doesn't want to be in LA. Like the vibe of the Clippers doesn't seem great. I don't know that Ty Lu's done a terrible job, uh, but something isn't really working in in LA and, and for the Clippers. And I think we're you know we're halfway through the season. Like there's not that much time for it to for it to take. So I do think Ty Lu at the end of the year, and you know that I think Ty Lu is. I think he's fantastic. Like, I think his in-game adjustments are really good. I, I think players seem to like him. But I, there's something going on with the Clippers. Uh, but he and Nick Nurse probably deserve more blame than, I've, than I'm have yeah. ready to give them because I think they're both very good coaches. I think Nick Nurse might be, like, pretty close to done in Toronto would be my guess. But I usually I wouldn't do this. It's kind of a fun discussion, though. So you talk about Minnesota. Who's to blame there? Is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it the executive who was the overwhelming pick for worst executive on Reddit, Tim Connolly, for the Gobert trade? Do you is it putting you on the spot because you haven't researched or prepped this? Do you can you think of the best executive, worst executive of just a few months, which is not fair, but still reserved for this season only? Best executive? Ooh. That one's hard because it's it's so early. Things haven't taken shape yet. Yeah, what what's what's the dude's name from um Robert Para, he's the owner, right? Yeah, he's Mem- the owner. They Memphis have- is Memphis is uh I mean Brad Stevens will be up there. His Darryl- the executive is Zach Kleiman, but I think they have somebody else. Yeah, there. Zach Kleiman. I, I mean I think he's done a very good job. Um Kobe Altman, I think, is gonna get a lot of praise. Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, give me I I would say Kobe Altman, I guess. Donovan yeah, Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell trade worked so far. Yeah. For sure. And and getting Jared Allen and Karis LeVert has been a big deal, you know. They have drafted Darius Garland. Literally the only thing for Kobe Altman in the last couple of years that doesn't seem like it's worked out is drafting Isaac Okoro, right? That's like the only one. So I guess, yeah, I'd say Kobe Altman best. I don't know. Worst. I would say, I would say the best just to jump in. If we're just basing it on this season, I, I kind of like what Brad Stevens did, you know, getting Malcolm Brogdon. Not They've to, done a good job. I mean, their yeah. team was I mean, already like, How do you get Malcolm Brogdon? You know, adding pieces. To an already strong team, um, you know. I, did did Travis Schlank not win worst executive because he already like stepped down? That's a good question. People were saying that about Steve Nash for coach negative coach of the year. It's like I mean, it's like the Judy Dench one for Shakespeare and Love for like eight minutes. Like, can Steve Nash win for a couple weeks of work? Just going I, on. I do think like what Atlanta did when they like. They traded for DeJounte Murray. It really hasn't worked out. But then they gave up because of that. They had to trade Kevin Herter, who's been very good for Sacramento. Sacramento's GM probably deserves yeah. quite a bit of credit, too. Like they they wanted to make a playoff push, and it worked so far. Yeah, but I would say, like, Atlanta was very clearly, in my opinion, did a did a bad job. I I, I like Tommy Shepard. I think he did a bad job re-signing Brad Beal. Like, 
I just don't think that was smart. Although I do think the trade to Denver um, for Monty Morris was like fine. Uh, but I just think that like the, he made a mistake that's going to hurt them down the road, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I guess I would say like Atlanta, it's really hard, I think, to tell to to like hang it on Tim Connolly right now. It does seem like Chris Finch will be the scapegoat, obviously not Tim Connolly, but like Minnesota, we think they should be better, but like we don't actually know that they should be better. Like it just didn't work out, right? So like well, maybe it, they it are. It was a weird trade at the time. People thought it was an overpay. I don't even mind the pay in that sense. Like I don't care about first round picks that are mid to late first round picks. I don't care about losing Jared Vanderbilt. You can find somebody like that. It just didn't make a lot of sense in terms of the salary, in terms of Rudy's age and not being an easy fit. So it was a risk. And um, I don't even mind it that much. I think, yeah, I I didn't like it. What Atlanta did. How about Mark Cuban, by the way, like, like, just like not doing anything. Yeah. Like, so they they make the deal for Christian Wood has been okay. Wood has been good. Right. But then like Dinwiddie's their only other like positive, like guy. Right. It's like, and Jalen Brunson's looking good. And Jalen Brunson's looking great in New York. New York probably deserves, like, I don't know if like Walt Perrin is the guy that we would, we would count or if it's like Thibs too, but like New York's done a great job, but like Dallas probably at a certain point, Mark Cuban probably deserves a little bit of this flack because, or Donnie Nelson, whoever, whoever it is now, I don't, I don't even know, but like probably deserves some flack because like you've got Luca, he's playing at this like unreal level and you didn't really do a bunch to, like, I mean, they were, they were bringing Christian Wood off the bench. Like something's going on there, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and the other guys, just because it's fun to hate on teams. Uh, Lakers, obviously, you know, the rust thing happened beforehand, but they should have probably traded them earlier if they could. Um, I think. So, are you giving that award to Rob Holinka or LeBron? <laughs> I, what about Phoenix? James Jones, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, letting Jay Crowder just kind of take a vacation. Um, Washington, I think you're right. Um, you know, and not only for Washington because it kind of ties together. Let's let's pivot here. Washington uh, Rookie of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Rookie Bust of the year which is premature and unfair but still if we have to if we could pick the best rookie we could pick the worst rookie um paulo best rookie right i mean better yeah i don't close but not he's quite. winning he's winning today like no no matter what like he would win I, I think there's a chance that you know as we get closer down the road like let's say keegan murray has like a nice push or uh there was somebody else i was looking at that actually made a lot of sense um yeah, no, just Keegan Murray would be the guy in case like Sacramento like really starts to lean on him, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Benedict, if they, you know, if Benedict goes in the starting lineup and they stay in the playoffs, I think he has an argument. But Powell has been good. Yeah. Um, what about worst or most disappointing rookie? If you say that, then maybe Jabari Smith. Johnny Davis is probably the favorite lottery pick. Hasn't gotten minutes. He stinks. Like he stinks. It's weird, right? I mean, you were kind of skeptical, but did you think he would be? this far be- behind as a sophomore coming uh, in he's really bad i you know Remember, honestly you have been 1.1 points a game as a lottery pick That's jabari hard. smith you know jabari smith has like made some improvements recently so i i don't think that jabari smith is like a lock for this but johnny davis is like legitimately very bad like he is a, a bad player who's played 10 games as a lottery pick like i don't think Wendell Moore has been disappointing, but it's not really his fault. I don't think he hasn't played a ton, but yeah, I mean, it, it has to, it, it, 
there's no way it's anybody but Johnny Davis. I, I, I Johnny Davis is G League stats because maybe he's done better. He's averaging 11 points, four rebounds, shooting 41% from the field, 44% from two. It's so it's not even good in the G League right now. No, it's just it's just like it's bad. I, I honestly do think I'm I'm kind of back in on Jabari Smith. I know like we've we've talked quite a bit about him, but like his last month has been much better. I, I think like He's so young. We're talking about a guy at he's 19 years old. I, th- I think he's the youngest player in the NBA. I'm yes, pretty confident. Yeah. So yes, he is shooting 39% from two, but he's averaging 12 and seven. Uh, he is defending at a reasonable level for a 19 year old. Who's like 180 pounds. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, his three point percentage has crept up. He is shooting 80% from the foul line. Like I, I don't, he's also on a horrendous team. I mean, just, an absolutely atrocious team. Yeah. So, like, I think what we're seeing here, and this is not to take anything away from Paolo, who I think is a fantastic player, but, like, we're seeing Paolo Bancaro, who is a fully developed, like, grown man at 19, versus Jabari Smith, who is, you know, not necessarily ready to be in that position. I, I If I'm Houston, like, I am – I can't say that I'm, like, really upset about Jabari Smith right now. I yeah, think I the think first month point. was scary, but I, he's he's leveled off. Yeah, and if you want to criticize Steven Silas, like, and other people have said it, other players have said it. It's like, instead of running through, like, jack them up guards, like, what does it look like if you start Sangoon, you know, and then theoretically you have big, long athletes around him, like Jabari Smith, who can defend in the future, certainly Tari Eason. Like, there's something there, and they're maybe they're yeah. slowly figuring it out. How to I mean, play. Jabari Smith played – I think he's played all but one game and he's actually 30 minutes a game. So like he's, he's going to learn on the fly. And and he's the kind of guy in three years. You're like, okay, he turns out he was, he was justified all the hype. Cause yeah, it's like, know. it's like Giannis as a rookie, like where you're like, Oh, there's a lot here, but he's a bad basketball player right now. Now, now that's not to say that I think Jabari Smith's going to be honest. I, I don't, I don't. Right. But well, like, like we, we said that about Jaron Jackson, like he was frustrating for a few years, at least showed flashes and not enough. And then he's put it all together now, I think. Yeah. I agree. Um, and then is is MVP the last thing we have to talk about? Is there oh, I do. Else? Hold on. Can I can I shout out one more rookie that I actually think is like pretty pretty good? Yeah. Um, Charlotte is an absolute dumpster fire. Steve Clifford probably deserves some votes for worst coach, although the situation is bad. You know, Lamelo Ball injury. Um, my guy whose name I can't even remember, Miles Bridges. Uh, some some legal woes, but. They didn't you can't, really you canceled him from your brain. Either. Yeah, it's just that's, that's what happens. We very, very short, very short uh, runway. You're, you're just canceled. But Mark Williams, um, I understand we don't really love five men. And Jalen Duran has been pretty good. He was picked right before Mark Williams. Jalen Duran looks like a guy that can be a 10 to 12 year pro just getting rebounds and dunks. But like Charlotte didn't want to play Mark Williams. And he was like dominant in the G League, like totally dominant. And they played him. And like Mark Williams looks like he's going to be a pretty good five man in the NBA. And I I just think that he's a little bit older, but he seems to understand defensive principles. He's very, he's not super bouncy, but he's super long. He's got pretty good hands. Like Mark Williams has been good. And I wonder where Mark Williams would be on the rankings. If Charlotte had just played him from the start, instead of trying to like marry him behind like Nick Richards. It's a weird organizational thing. Cause remember they brought LaMelo off the bench all year. And so now Mark Williams would bring him through the G league. I, I don't hate that approach. It reminds me, I know you hate David Thorpe, but I don't. Yeah. I don't hate David Thorpe. I just think that I just think that David Thorpe is a is a take artist, if you will. 
But I just remember him in the draft saying Mark Williams is the closest player he can remember coming to the draft since Rudy Gobert, which sounds obviously like ridiculously high praise, but you can kind of see it, right? He's, he is, his wingspan is like seven nine as well or something like that. He's yeah, I, but he's not as athletic as Rudy. I mean, Walker Kessler, by the way, <laughs> when we're talking about, when we talk about like rookies, Walker Kessler has been like really good, obviously. That's been one. Yeah. You'd be like the all rookie team, you know, at least. I think Walker Kessler would be, I think though, if you, if you pick a rookie team right now, it's Paolo is rookie of the year. Yeah. Benny Maths, obviously first team all rookie. I think Walker Kessler is first team all rookie. I would Jalen ass- Williams is averaging like twelve or thirteen. I would assume Jalen Williams would be on it, and then I, I, I guess the last spot would be like Murray or Andrew Nembhard. I think it kind of depends on. Yeah. It, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, MVP. I, I couldn't really think of a lot of LVPs. We could start there. It would be least valuable player according to like our criteria. If you want to know it. Can't factor in contracts. Can't factor in injuries. So it's like what you do on the court. You're not allowed to factor in contracts? Well, it's like MVP. You don't factor in contracts to MVP, right? Um, Maybe. And, um, should we be doing that? And then also for LVP, like the worst players in the league are like the 15th, 14th guys who never play or like the super young rookies who are in over their heads like Johnny Davis. That's not the point. The point is guys who get minutes. Man, you love – you literally love – LVP like it's not well, it's your favorite award it is really your favorite award and then but you have to be on the court contributing to a team that expects you to play well so not like a tanking team and you're just letting the team down or maybe they're playing you too much I I had a hard time figuring it out I no it's so obvious who this is honestly it's so obvious I well, think. I'll tell you, I don't have an obvious name the people that Reddit mentioned were like Chris Middleton but he's been hurt Chris Middleton is in in theory I think Chris yeah. Middleton has been the least valuable player this season but it's not really his fault right and then people were mentioning Fred Van Vliet just for being disappointing I don't think he's been no like a bad player though um, so who's your obvious name because I didn't have him PJ Tucker. Yeah, PJ. He, I wonder what like, man stats are. So PJ Tucker is uh so the the league the league leaders in like the worst in VORP just value over replacement player, right? And I'm not trying to like throw catch-all stats. Uh Jeremy Sohan, which rookie you'd expect, San Antonio Stinks, Jabari Smith, we just talked about, Malachi Brandon, and then PJ Tucker. That's pretty damning. Yeah. I mean, let's see about fair. box plus minus. Because he actually, yeah, PJ Tucker and Reggie Jackson are the only two. Wow, Dennis Schroeder's numbers are bad too. But like, I I personally think PJ Tucker just he just plays way too many minutes, and he like you're always playing. Yes, he moves the ball, he can shoot corner threes, but he doesn't really do it anymore. He's not the same defender he was. Like my pick for I picked Philly, I believe, to win the East. Did I not? I'm pretty sure I picked Philly to win the East. I knew you thought they'd be the one seed. I forgot who you took to win it. This all. is this was based on the fact that PJ Tucker was going to provide one veteran leadership, toughness, you know, whatever. But two, he was going to make open threes and he was going to defend the other teams like best wing or you know if he needs to defend a post player because like Embiid's in foul trouble or whatever, he could do that. In my opinion, PJ Tucker is not currently a legitimate NBA player. And he is playing, I believe, something in the neighborhood of like 30 minutes a night, yeah, 33 minutes a night. Starting. Yeah, it's bad. You're right. Um, that's a great pick. And uh, we'll keep him in mind for the He's last in player efficiency rating. If we care about PER, and part of that's like he, he really doesn't score. Like he just doesn't try to. 
and basketball reference, like they have that MVP tracker. They should have an LVP tracker. He might be at the top. So MVP, because it's kind of fun this year. I thought it was wide open. Everyone I've been hearing this week says it's obviously Jokic. I don't think it's that obvious. Um, do you? Have I think a- I think Jokic would win unanimously today. I I, I, I personally would like to vote for some other people, and I think like the the MVP ballot is very very interesting this year. I, I mean, I think Luca is deserving. I think Jason Tatum is deserving. I think Joel Embiid has played amazing, and he is in the race just like always. Uh, I'm surprised John Morant hasn't had like more love. I actually don't really like John Morant as an MVP candidate. I don't even. I, I think they're better because of Jaron Jackson, but. You know, Morant's dropping poster dunks and, like, he's stats back up stuff. I think Donovan Mitchell has, like, a reasonable down-ballot case. But I, I think I think if it ended right now, Denver's the one seed in the West. Jokic's numbers have gotten so much better since the start of the year. I just – I think he would win. And the media – Because I, I – even prior to yesterday, I was thinking, I can see the Luka case in this sense. Like, their stats are pretty similar in terms of rebounds, in terms of assists. The big differences are Luca is scoring, you know, five, six, eight, actually eight more points a game because he's getting to the line more and carrying more of the load. And then Jokic's argument would be, you know, defensively, he's probably a little better and then the team's better. But Jokic is like efficiency as a shooter is just it's, like, you it's know. like astonishing. It's unbelievable. Like, he, the other night he was 13 for 14 or something. I he did know. Tuesday night, 13 for 14, 36 points, another triple double. Like it's ridiculous. To, <laughs> 63% from field goal total, you know, 67% from two shooting 82% from the line. I mean, he just doesn't miss. It is so my, my question to you is, so Russell Westbrook, if you, if you recall, averaged a triple double for, I believe three straight seasons. Yeah. The first year it happened, I think people thought it was like very cool, right? And then all of a sudden, as like media tends to do, like, oh man, this isn't cool. Like anyone can do it if they're hunting rebounds. But like Jokic is averaging currently today, as of our recording, Jokic is averaging 25 points a game, 11 rebounds, and 9.8 assists per game. Like he very well may average a triple double. And it's yeah, not you know, on those raw numbers. I bet Russ averaged something similar, probably was 25, 10, and 10, too. But like, I think, Russ, at, I think Russ was like more than that, to be honest. Like, looking but, at the true shooting percentage of those triple doubles right now, Jokic is at 69.8% true shooting. You know, even in a league like this, it's, you know, that's absurd. Over. I understand offense is like as not as easy as it's ever been, but offense is as good as it's ever been. And like, I mean, Jokic's numbers are just ridiculous. The other, hold on, I do want to shout out one more. Or, just to say that when he, when Russ won MVP, his true shooting was fifty-five percent, which was about league average at the time. Yeah, uh, I think uh, so, uh Sabonis, by the way, like I think he has a legitimate case for MVP. He's not going to win. You seem like, to be on the ballot. Should he finish fifth? Sure, yeah. he's averaging. Just under 20 points a game, but, you know, 12 and a half rebounds a game, seven assists a game. He's kind of like Jokic light in a lot of ways. He doesn't do exactly what he does, but they run their offense through him. He's proven to be, like, a very good complement to De'Aaron Fox. The Kings are very fun on offense. He's also, like, a better defender, I think, than he gets credit for. Uh, I'm nervous. You know, he's obviously got a broken hand, and he's playing through it. And uh, he doesn't take as many shots as everybody else. Like, he's not... His usage percentage offensively in terms of as a score is a little bit lower than than most guys on the ballot. Uh, but 
he's only taking like 11 shots a game. So he's probably not going to get there. But in the end, like, I, I think he's been truly, that's, truly valuable to what the Kings do. That's and a I great call. Like I've seen on Reddit, I, some people made the joke. I think I made the joke actually. But <laughs> Demontis, Demontis Sabonis is like Jokic-ish, you know, or Jokish. Yokish, yeah, Jokish. and then Singoon is like Sabonish, you know, like they're not quite there, but they're, they're levels to these guys. But so they're all good. There, there are there are a few guys in the NBA that like you know this was me with Anthony Edwards for like two straight years, where it's like you know he just might do some weird stuff on the court that like you have to watch. But like Singoon, I know like you're kind of fascinated by him, but like the Singoon NBA experience is like quite something because he does some like wild stuff, like. He's he's very young. The Rockets are very unstructured, but like there's some there's some framework of like a pretty good player there. But man, is he out of control from time to time? Yeah, and he looks like he's like six nine. I don't know how tall he is, but you know the All NBA might be interesting because you think Jokic put him on there, Luca put him on there. I think you got to put Jason Tatum on there, so that's three. And then right now maybe Giannis and Durant but does Jaw squeak in there is I know you haven't gotten this to study but would you have a five-man first team just based on this midseason all right what would I do for first team all NBA and is uh Tatum a forward or a guard I would call him a forward okay so we're gonna have, so he asked so I would probably then not have Tatum on the first team I don't think interesting okay so I would definitely have Jokic uh I would definitely have Luca. And then, oh my God, the last forward spot is like a joke. Yeah, I guess Luca Luca counts as a Luca counts yeah. as a guard, right? You can count Luca as a guard for sure. Okay, all right. So I'd have and I, you Yoke. can call count five. I don't really care positions. Either. All right, this is what I think. The, okay, that's fine. Then here's what I think the first team is. I think it's Jokic. I think it's Luca. I think it's Durant. I think it is. And beads in the conversation. Giannis, I don't Giannis, know Josh, if Donovan Mitchell, Shea. Yeah, I would have, there. I would have, yeah, I would have Giannis and Tatum. I think as as the five. I, you obviously can't do that because you have to have guards and forwards. But uh, if Luca is a guard and Tatum is a guard, then I think we probably can get away with it, right? And then you can have Giannis, Durant, and Jokic. I would. I would probably like to put him. I, I mean, Embiid is just like never going to win and never going to get on a first team All NBA team because he's like the third best player in the league and the best player in the league is Jokic. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, I, I just want to go over one of the hottest takes I've ever seen on the internet. Uh, so Tatum had 50 on MLK day against Charlotte. Not surprising. Charlotte is garbage on defense. And Jason McIntyre, you familiar with this guy? He used to own the big lead. I think he's on Colin Cowherd's show now as like the host. Mm-hmm. He said that the list of players, I actually want to bring this tweet up just so I can just to make sure that I give it. Okay, while you do that, I'll give my first team. I would say Jokic, Luka, Tatum, Durant, who will probably fall off because he's hurt. Yeah. So that's four. And then I would, yeah, I guess if I could squeeze Giannis on positionally. So he said, taking age and salary into account, the only three players I'd not trade for Victor Wemby, a.k.a. the number one pick, Luka, Giannis, and Jason Tatum. And then the best part about this tweet is this next line. Need some more time on Jokic and Morant. They're very close. So Morant, okay, whatever. I, I understand. I would probably, I guess I'd rather have Morant than Victor right now just because, like, injuries, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But Jokic is a two-time MVP. He's one and most valuable player in the NBA two straight years. How much more time could you? This is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, the, the level of, like, disrespect 
to Jokic from like casual NBA watchers is like absurd. It's just it's it's so it's like so outrageous. Then he's the he's like probably the best player in the NBA. Yeah, and he's 27. He's turning 28 he's, in February. But he's in his so, prime. He's gotten yeah. better every year. He's still getting better. Yeah, I, I think regular season, you say it's, it might be unanimous. I don't think it would be unanimous MVP, but I think he would win his third MVP. And that kind of goes to my point earlier. You know, everyone, I think, overrates recency bias or what not recency bias, winner voting fatigue, because if a guy has the best stats and is the one seed, he's going to win MVP. Isn't, you know, no one's going right. to talk themselves out of it. I think, you know, it was, we've said it for years since we've been doing the podcast, last three years at least, like most impactful regular season players, at least Jokic and Giannis. We probably had Giannis a little higher, but they're, they're just horses. And like you can pencil them in for a top four or five seed every year. Every single year, every year. It's, it's just like, and now, you know, credit to you, but Jokic has a roster around him that, you know, I, I think with Giannis, there was a couple things like they were I really good for the roster. Yeah. No, no, no. You get credit for saying like this year could be Denver's year, right? Like this is this we is did, the year. We did bet them twenty to one to win the title, right? And so, like, I was remember I was high, the first year we did the show. I was really high on Milwaukee. I was like, hey, I, I really like what they're doing. They they hired Mike Buttonholzer. I think they're going to be really good. They took a leap. They weren't ready to win, right? They they weren't quite there. Jokic kind of got there a little early. They went to the conference finals. They weren't really a threat to win in the conference finals. But like this year now, you know, Jamal Murray's healthy. Michael Porter is like sort of healthy. Like Bruce Brown has solidified some of their rotation. Aaron Gordon is playing amazing. Like Contavious Caldwell Pope is a really excellent addition for them. Like they're they're good enough to win the title this year. So I do wonder if we're going to see Jokic really break through. It's absurd to say this because you and I have watched this guy for years just yeah. dominate, but he may really break through with the national media because the team is actually good enough around him. And if things break his way, like they could easily win the title. And, it uh, would feel it would feel very Giannis-y where it's like the rap on Giannis was like couldn't win in the playoffs. He's not style's not going to win in the playoffs, right? And you give him enough bites at the apple, and eventually he'll he'll get he'll it. And I, and I think like that's that's what we've always said with Luca. Like at some point, we expect Luca to win an NBA championship because he's just he, he's just that good. And I don't know how oh. many other players. I think T- Tatum is probably pretty close to that category. I would imagine. I don't know that I definitely bet on him to win a title, but like. Well, that's that's what we're going to do because now we're pivoting from what we would pick to predicting the future, and that's the only question I want to know: Would you revise your title picks, and who would they be now? Yeah, I don't even remember who I picked, but I am going to stick. I really want to do something crazy in the East and like pick Brooklyn, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick with Philly to make the title. Wow, that's bold. They're playing a lot better. Uh, Embiid is playing at a super MVP level, like definitely in shape. I am very concerned about PJ Tucker, like exceptionally concerned about PJ Tucker. The, o- the only other time I was concerned about PJ Tucker was in Milwaukee when all of a sudden in the playoffs he was like massive wing stopper PJ Tucker again. He just like you know drank from the fountain of youth. So I'm going to pick Philly. I think Embiid is the most unstoppable guy in the East. I think James Harden is having an a really, really good season that people are just not talking about because, like, he's kind of like out of the zeitgeist now. People don't, you know, James Harden, blah, 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 blah. But uh, so I'm going to pick Philly. In the West, I think I picked the Clippers, which is not going to happen. So I'm glad to get another opportunity to pick a team. I think Memphis is too young, and I don't believe that Jaron Jackson can stay healthy. I just, I, I'm just not sure. And Jaws, you know, sometimes banged up. So I'm gonna. Jo- I'm just gonna join you. Like I, I think 
I'm going to try to will it into existence. Like, I'd love to see Jokic versus Embiid in the NBA Finals. Like, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to pick Denver, and I'm going to say that my guy, James Harden, wins an NBA championship. I think Philly's going to get there this year. But you've been looking for that since we started the podcast. You didn't sell any of your Harden stock. I think you've been proven right on that front. Can Philly what's, have What stock is worse, Tesla stock or Harden stock? Which one's yeah, worth I, less Harden's money coming since? back. I, I think people Harden, Harden's been very good this year. He's been very good. I think, I think they're a legit title threat as well. But I would say it's come for me, it comes down to in the East, Boston, Milwaukee. I think the Milwaukee has more upside if Chris Middleton can get close to healthy. If they can You're make picking a- against your your favorite SRS. Milwaukee SRS 1.18. Philly 3.15. I'm just saying, Milwaukee, if they if they add a piece, you know, better wing, you know, Bogdan, one of the Bogdanoviches, get them in there. I think they have the potential to get it right, but I just don't know. Is Middleton going to be decent? He's shooting 31% this year. Yeah. I mean, so right now I would pencil in Boston if my life was on the line. Uh, Denver's defense is scary, but I think it's getting better. I think they have all the pieces. And I think you're right. Like, it's just one of those years where it's just like, feels like Jokic is, is, is this it? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't feel I, like it. I do feel, I will say this. I do feel like Denver would be an underdog in the finals versus Boston or Milwaukee, I yeah, think. Because I think, it, you know, people are going to doubt him until he proves them wrong, you know, even if he's a three-time MVP. But we I, haven't really, you know, have we ever really seen the guy who couldn't win the big one not win the big one in the sense of Peyton Manning got that rap a lot. Alex Rodriguez in baseball, but baseball is silly to, to think it's, that. It's dumb for baseball because, yeah. like, you just – but Peyton Manning counts, I think, and he won – you know, LeBron, yeah. he won. Phil Mickelson. definitely won. I think, you know, Dirk won eventually. Was uh, Dirk a not win the big one guy? Yeah, remember the guy they lost as the one seed the one time? Yeah, to, to Golden, Golden State. State. But then, like, the 2006 finals, like, they should have won. And, like, Tim Donaghy was like. The guy, actually, the guy who probably fits this better than anyone is James Harden because he, he had that rap for a while. So maybe he could bring it. Through. You're just, you're just, a, you're well, it's just true, a though. Wouldn't you say guy, one of the best players never to win a title? Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I guess Drew Brees won a title, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of who else. Tom Brady. No, did not. Dan Marino. Yeah. Stetson Bennett. Everybody counted him out. You know, they were supposed to go 500 this year and they won a title. <laughs> so, right, and, uh, I guess Andy, Andy Reed, I think counts, right? Like yeah, he, that, yeah, he that's true. couldn't win the big one. And then he did. So I don't, I think you're right. I think most of the time we do see people break through. Part of me really wants to pick Dallas and just that they'll just turn it on. But I just don't think they're deep. Enough. It's hard to do that four times, you know, cause they'll be in four tough series probably. Yeah, it, it, the problem is, you know, it, it's interesting to think about this, and I, I don't mean to start uh, another conversation, nor do I want you to get shredded on Reddit by, like, Kobe Bryant fans, but, like, uh-huh. the Eastern Conference, when LeBron was, like, at his peak, there just wasn't another – like, Dwayne Wade was really good, right? But, like, LeBron was, like, on Cleveland, and, like, you know, the, there just wasn't another guy that was, like, close to his equal, right? The Pistons were a fun foil for him. but like. Now in the West, like Luca isn't the best player in the West, right? Or or he's in the conversation for it, but like Jokic is in the West. Like Dame Lillard's averaging like you know 40 a game over his last 10. Steph Curry, you know, is still one of the best players in the NBA when he's healthy. John Morant's trying to like add to his legend. Like Zion's there. Like there are too many good players for yeah. a guy like Luca to just be able to just like roll through the playoffs, like LeBron could used to be able to do in the East. 
And part yeah. of that might be that LeBron is that much better. Don't get me wrong. But like and LeBron, we didn't mention LeBron, but he he'd be in somewhere in the list of top you know ten players this year at fifteen. He's probably a second team All NBA guy right now. I think it'd be hard to have him on the team over Durant or like Tatum. But man, LeBron is it's it's like unreal how good that guy is. Can I give my cranky old man moment of the of the podcast? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. I just, it just makes me think like nostalgic for the idea of like how would the league have looked if Durant stayed on Oklahoma City for. 15 years well how would the league look if Cle- you know lebron stayed on cleveland and those two battled in the finals like five times it would have been awesome um we did not get that and you know but it's still it's fun to talk about the storylines i guess yeah lebron averaging what 29 and a half eight and a half rebounds seven assists shooting percentages Dipping a little bit lower. He's only shooting 29% from three. Getting to the foul line about as much as he was previous years. But, again, he's 38 years old. Uh, if you haven't seen it, the clip with him and Jabari Smith is very funny about, like, Jabari Smith being like, you played against my dad. You know, it's – I mean, there's guys in the NBA that were not born when LeBron played his first NBA basketball game. And that is as – so, as two guys who, like, basically have lived as NBA diehards, like, through his whole career, it's – it's incredible. Like, well, the most incredible part about it to me, because you watch Tom Brady and he's still playing at 45. That's awesome. He's but a quarterback. Yeah, but you can see he's like not quite the same. LeBron, it's like you really have to squint and like look through the numbers. Like, eh, league adjusted is. I don't. I don't know. Down, but it's like, he, come on, he now. could be good in three or four years. Hold, hold on a second, though. Like, you don't have to squint to see the difference between 2023 no, LeBron but, and like 2013 LeBron. Like, he he can't. He still has moments where he can overwhelm guys athletically, but he can't do it for. But it, let me tell you this. Let me ask you this. LeBron is thirty what seven? Thirty eight. If at age forty, would you take over under on twenty points a game? Over. I, I mean, I'm not going to bet against LeBron anymore. Like I've tried to bet against LeBron for my entire life. Basically, I would say there there are a few people that I've lost a lot of money either betting on or betting against, and LeBron is up there on the list of people that like. Tom Brady is number one. I, I have bet against Tom Brady in a number of very large spots, thinking he was like, you know, the 2020, what was it, 2020 Super Bowl or 2021 when they beat Kansas City? That one was one. I had Kansas City against them. The first Mahomes MVP year, I had a huge bet on Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Uh, you know, D Ford owes me a lot of money. Uh, but I, it's, but LeBron is up there too. Like you just wait for these guys to fall off because you're like, okay, the age curve. It's like this. I'm a super nerd, and then it's like, all right, well, these guys break the age curve. So yeah, uh, it's a good. The league's in a good place. Appreciate greatness. So that's our midseason picks. All right, that's uh, that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week. Um, he is in underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. You can email the show Ellison at gmail.com. And uh, as always, man, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.